0: Hi, and welcome to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. We hope you'll enjoy listening to this message as Pastor Alex leads us in God's Word. It is our hope that you'll personally experience God through these teachings. Now here's Pastor Alex. So first thing I want to do this morning is um, have you get your Bibles or your device, your phone, whatever you have a Bible on, and turn to James chapter 3. book of James chapter 3 is where we're at, and we've been walking through... This letter written by the second oldest brother in Jesus' family. He was the firstborn of Mary and Joseph. He was not born of Mary and God like his older brother Jesus was. So uh, he had this special relationship with his older brother who I don't think he understood was the Messiah, the Savior, God in the flesh, as they were growing up. All indications, from my point of view, is that James didn't become a follower of Christ until long after the resurrection. So all the teaching that Jesus did, all the miracles he did, all the growing up—you know, watching Jesus live a sinless life—I um, don't think it ever really clicked with James until after Jesus rose from the dead. And it says in the book of Acts that they had an encounter. They had an encounter one-on-one. It says James appeared to more than five—I'm sorry, Jesus appeared to more than five hundred at one time. Then he appeared to the apostles. Then he appeared to Peter. And then it says he appeared to James. As if they had a one-on-one encounter. And so I'm thinking, what what an amazing discovery. It must have been for him to finally go, oh, you were him the whole time. I was growing up with you. And so when we read this letter, we have to recognize that he's got some special passion about all of the followers that he's writing to. And primarily because he was one of the senior pastors at the Jerusalem church, um, he, he had a focal point of a lot of Jews who had become born-again Christians. And, and he saw a lot of, I don't know, not great stuff going on, but he saw a lot of pride, I think is what it was. A lot of these Jews um, really had a lot of pride about their heritage. Hey, we're sons of Abraham. We're followers of Moses. And and now we're followers of Jesus. Man, we, we are like special. We're chosen. And I, I think a lot of James' strong language is, is a result of just seeing those kind of things. He's had to kind of puncture a lot of that that pride and stuff that these Jerusalem Christians were experiencing. Um, I mentioned a few weeks ago that, you know, the church is not exactly a bastion of good behavior. If you've been a Christian for very long, you, you probably have found that out, you know, Gosh, these Christians are worse than my old pagan friends, you know. It can really happen. We can really hurt one another. And and uh, one of the cool things about, about being a follower of Christ, though, is that you don't have to hide your brokenness anymore. We don't have to pretend like we've got it all together or ignore things that are, you know, hurting us or hurting other people. We can actually bring them out to the light because... Anybody who follows Christ has learned that, wow, if I do that, then God has a chance to heal me. He can actually adjust and change and miraculously heal my heart and my behavior. And he can actually put things in me that were never there before. I might have imagined them, long form, wanted them, tried to read them in. But God miraculously will put them into me. His character, his love, his mercy, his grace, his wisdom, his discipline. And And when that happens, then you go, wow, Jesus is real. Following God is an actual possibility, and having him inside me is genuinely, authentically a possibility for my life here and now. And so when James is now looking at this church in Jerusalem, he's going, wait a minute, how how does your behavior match what has happened to you? You should be so blown away and humbled by the grace of God in your life, because you know what rats you are, or have been, or used to be. And so now we see all this kind of bad behavior drifting back in. And the specific thing he's talking about here in chapter 3 is that uh, he noticed a lot of people who were really just just awesome, amazing, kind, generous leaders. And and they had a good reputation. They were popular for all the right reasons. They were kind. They were godly. They were holy. They were humble. They were helpful. They were generous. And so all the Christians in the Jerusalem churches wanted to hang around these kind of leaders. But then he saw another crowd, and there were quite a few of them who were envious of all the attention these guys were getting. And so they decided they're going to take some shortcuts. They're going to try to talk big. They're going to try to sound spiritual. They're going to try to look like something. They, wanted, they really wanted to attract a following because it made them feel good. And James says that kind of popularity is not the kind you want. You don't want to try to manipulate people into thinking things about you that aren't even true just so you can be an intention-getting leader. He says you've got to have the real thing. And so those who desperately wanted to appear mature... We're about to receive some pretty strong words. And this is where we start. Right here in James chapter 3, verse 13 is is where this paragraph begins. He's speaking directly to those folks. Okay? The big, bloated head Christians. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy... See, that's the, the envy, the jealousy that he's talking about... They're like just hungering for attention. And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such so-called wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's strong word. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So he's just trying to spell it out. You guys want a path to popularity, the kind that God honors, the kind that Jesus honors. Here's how you do it. You don't do it the way you've been doing it. Let me lay out the recipe for you right here. And all these beautiful qualities. That he lists are, are things that, I don't know, have you known people that, I don't know, they're kind of attention-getting folks. They might be Christians, they might not be, they might be people at work, but but you just kind of go, eh, they're just so, I don't know, you feel like there's just too much ego involved, there's too much working too hard to be the center of attention. Anybody know people like that? Yeah, we all do. It's just kind of icky, you know? At first, you can be impressed because some people are pretty good at acting out this role. But after a while, if you get to know them, you go, man, their, their words and their behavior just don't really jive. And so that's, that's what James is speaking to here. He says, if you want really the kind of attention that will draw people to you for all the right reasons. Because Jesus did say, by the way, we're called to be light, right? Like drawing all the bugs. <laughs> they're flying around, you know. It's not a bad thing to want to be influential. It's actually a good thing if your motive is right. He says, if you want to do it, here's, here's how you figure that out. Number one, recognize it's how you live, not how you talk, that counts. Because people will watch you. They'll listen to a few words, but after a while, they're just going to watch. He says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Catch that. True wisdom is always cloaked in humility. I mean, I know a lot of smart people. I know a lot of godly people. A lot of my, at least apparently mature Christians. But when I don't see humility in the mix, I don't know, their wisdom just kind of falls flat. It doesn't really become something I want to embrace. You see, true wisdom starts with recognizing God is God and I am not. He's got a position He's got a place in the universe, he's got a place in my life that completely and clearly delineates between the two, him and me. He's everything perfect, I'm just about everything that could be broken. That kind of understanding, that acknowledgement, the wisdom of God should humble us. Can I just hear an amen? It's kind of like a duh, right? When you spell it out like that, it's like, well, sure, absolutely. Absolutely. The problem is when we grow a little bit and learn a few things and start sharing with other people, sometimes we forget that portion of wisdom and we start feeling like, well, start feeling like I did as a junior hire. Do you know what my nickname was? Smart Alex. Smart Alex. I mean, it's like it was such a perfect fit because it sounded so much like the Smart Alex, but. The problem was, it was true. I was just saying, whenever somebody's doing something, and I, I always had a better way. And it's still something I battle with. But it's icky. People don't like it. It's not the wisdom of God, because wisdom from God is always cloaked in humility. There might be people at work that actually are very brilliant and talented and have lots of experience. Or people in the church who are brilliant, talented, have lots of experience, gone through a lot. They've learned a lot through experience and also through the Word and, and they've heard God and had experiences with Him. They have testimonies and all that kind of thing. But, but can I just encourage you, if, if you are one of those people, work really hard to acknowledge everything you have is by grace. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Even a natural talent that you might have just been born with and just automatic for you. It's still a gift. You didn't create yourself. God did. That kind of wisdom is something that will cause people to go, I like being around him or her. So James goes on to say, you know, mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. Exaggerating what you know isn't wisdom. There was a neighborhood kid I grew up with. His name was Gary Bancroft. Gary Bancroft was a big kid, and he was only about a year older than I was, but but it was like, you know, he was 10, and I was 9, or maybe 9 and 8, and I was just a scrawny little short guy, and he was just this big, hulking 10-year-old, and um, Gary Bancroft was known for, for bragging. I could hit the ball farther than anybody. I can do this, and you can't. My bike's better than your bike. My dad's stronger than... Me. I mean, just on and on and on and on, and just... But everybody was kind of cowering in fear because you wanted to be liked by Gary because if you weren't, he was also a bully. And you would pay if you put out any indication that you didn't approve or didn't like him. Gary Bancroft. I mean everybody I'll tell you, what, Lori, Dave, Linda, Jody, they all know who Gary Bancroft is. We all grew up with him. He's a scary dude. But just yak, 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 all the time. And so you kind of wanted to be around him because he felt important if you were his friend, but but then he would intimidate all the time. So I remember one day, Gary Bancroft, he's got this baseball bat. It's called the Green Bessie. He had a name for everything. is my Green Bessie. Watch me how far I can hit this ball. And he hit it pretty far. I don't think I'd ever hit a baseball before in my life. But I'm going, can I try? He says, sure. You want to use Green Bessie? Yeah. So the pitch comes in. I don't know if it was the first time ever, but I I just swung at the ball. I just creamed it, hit it way farther than he ever did. And he was so ticked off. He took the bat, and he starts chasing me with the bat. And I just ran for my life. I mean, the guy was just scary. Because he couldn't handle not being acknowledged as the smartest, the brightest, the best, the strongest. I thought That's just so sad. It is so sad. I found out later that... Part of Gary's problem was he lived with a very abusive father. And um, he hit him all the time. Never gave him any approval. Found out later in life when we became adults, he used to hit his wife as well with a bat. Yeah, Vivian, she divorced him. And so she's still alive, lives in California. We're still friends. But you see... That's why James is pretty upset about this this little trail that sometimes we get on where we, we try to look good because it, it does lead to disorder and demonic and strife and and brokenness of, of every kind. He says don't go there. The wisdom from God is always cloaked in humility. In fact, he, he describes it like this such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. Those three words are pretty powerful. Earthly, Greek word simply means of this world. Not of heaven, but of this world. Kind of the way things work in the world order. The second one, unspiritual, is the one that caught my attention. The Greek word actually is a reference to the essence of all animal life, it's kind of like any living thing. Is an unspiritual thing. It has it's psychuchikos. Who cares what the Greek word is, but that's the word. And, and it describes anything that breeds and moves upon the earth, generally used to describe the animal kingdom. Humans at one level are identical, except that we have a spirit capable of responding to God. Animals don't. So James is saying what happens when you begin walking in this kind of worldly wisdom is you actually reduce yourself to animalistic behavior. Isn't that wild? And you think, okay, well, what's that all about? Well, there's a lot of phrases we use to describe just that. What do you, what do you use to describe a very competitive field of work like um, sales or um, politics? It's a dog, it's a dog-eat-dog world, right? Yeah. Where did that come from? Right here. That's what humans reduce themselves to when this level of competitiveness gets so strong we don't really care what it takes, just as long as we end up on top. And guess what? We're all vulnerable to that. James is kind of serious about this. He goes, and these are the followers of Christ? (laughs) You'd kind of think, well, that that kind of sounds like a gang or something. Yeah. You know, it sounds like some other dark group and society, but the church? What? That's why he's using strong language. He goes, it just doesn't even belong because you sort of drifted from this wonder and awe of a grace of God that should humble you before you ever open your mouth to share with other people. So when he goes on to describe this way of life and uses the word demonic, it's just kind of a you know, just sort of like the completion of an obvious track that people get on. You know, the word is really to be energized by demons. To be energized by demons. And that, you know, we used to use the word in King James, demon possessed. And it, that's a frightening word. And then, you know, they bring out movies like The Exorcist and you go, holy smoke, hair stands up on our arms and everything. It's just frightening. And so we go, okay, good thing I'm not and nobody I know is like that. But when you, when you, rightly defined the word as demon-energized, then it's more like this whisper in your ear that just kind of kind of blows you in a certain direction. Like this dark spirit just just kind of continues to to feed the the lower nature and, and tries to feed this earthly, unspiritual part. And you begin to comply to the point of invitation and go, yeah, have you watched the presidential debates lately? That's what's happening, for those of you who can stomach it. All the nastiness is is built on this idea that if I just use a bigger hammer, use harsher language, just become more of a lion, an animal, and eat these guys for lunch, I'll win. That's kind of the understanding. Without acknowledging, because the devil is pretty... Good and crafty and deceptive without acknowledging that, boy, I could be coming energized by something not of this world, but of of hell. So James says, don't do that. Whenever you're trying to look better than others at all costs, you end up at each other's throats. Okay, so painted a good strong picture, right? Everybody wants to flee from that? Ah, Let's get out of here. So the other side of the coin, thankfully, is that there is a way to gain a following for the right reasons. We can be done with certain behavior and embrace other behavior. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I love that list. What a list. Pure. When I'm sharing with you, when I'm sharing with other people, pure means I don't have a duplicitous motive. I have no hidden agenda. I've got a purpose. And it is to serve you and to care for you and advance your life. That's what pure speech is. Pure wisdom. Peace loving. It's one who values relationship over winning. Have you been in conversations where you think the person likes you, but when you get into a disagreement, they always have to win? And it's kind of like they don't care if you don't want to be their friend anymore. That doesn't matter to them. They won. They won. That's that's not the wisdom from heaven, but those who value relationships and can disagree agreeably and still embrace, that's the wisdom of heaven. Consider it. The wisdom from heaven is considerate. You know that when you interrupt people in the middle of a sentence, that's not considerate. <laughs> I remember in second grade I, I learned this word, this this concept. Uh, my teacher I might have been 1st grade, Mrs. Buttons. In 1st grade, Mrs. Buttons would say, now remember to be courteous to one another. And we go, what is courteous? That's a big word. Courteous is saying, please, thank you, excuse me, listening when someone's talking, and when you talk, you're kind. And like the guy on Bambi or the bunny on Bambi, if you can't say anything nice, don't say it at all. It's surprising how many Christians don't understand common courtesy. It blows me away sometimes. But that's the way to get the wisdom of God working in your life, is to be considerate. He says, be submissive. At least give people a chance to tell their side. Submission isn't always subjugating yourself to a higher authority. Sometimes it's submitting to a peer or even to someone that you might be over in some way. And submission doesn't mean you always say yes, bow down, and agree. It simply means you give them a chance to tell their side of the story. And at least you allow the information to come in and take it seriously. And you may, after a few moments or a few days or hours, decide, I disagree. But at least you give them the respect of listening to their point of view. That's submission. You don't have to agree with everybody. You don't have to bow down and roll over and play dead in front of everybody. He says it's compassion. Compassionate full of mercy and good fruits. He's simply saying compassion, that's just a big old feeling. It makes me cry when I watch that movie and you walk away and do nothing. It's that compassion followed by action. Those are the good fruits. And then he says it's impartial. I've, I've had the opportunity to um, talk with a lot of couples throughout the years who've been having a tough time in their marriages and uh, all common stuff. I don't think I've ever heard anything that hasn't been heard before or ha- haven't experienced before. But but it's interesting how sometimes one party, the husband or the wife, because I will hear a point of view and, and, and try to communicate it in different language so that perhaps what they didn't really hear before they could hear in a new way. And a lot of times the response I get is, why are you taking her side? Why are you taking his side? The immediate assumption is that I'm not, Impartial, impartial. Well, he's a guy and you're a guy. Well, of course you're ganging up on me. I understand it's kind of a natural reaction, and but sometimes I'm siding with the wife, and, and the husband's saying it back to me. Why are you ganging up? Or, yeah, ganging up on me, taking sides. No, the wisdom from heaven goes. You know what? I'm really on the side of truth. What's true, right, and good and godly here? What's God's standard? Let's let's go with that. And whoever you know isn't living up to it, let's just kind of. Lovingly point that out, and maybe even use my exa- myself as an example to kind of let them know you're not alone. But impartiality is a, is a powerful. Can I just say, if you haven't underlined that word, boy, underline. That's a great word in relationships. Learn how to be impartial, and let Jesus have the last word. If I'm on anybody's side, it's His side. Let's all get on His side. How about that? All of these things together, when you when you think about them are really the perfect solution for every marriage. If you are in an intimate relationship with a husband or wife, or you have a really close friend, or if you have an employee-employer relationship where you're close and you're working together all the time, these are the qualities that, well, I'm telling you, will just cause you to thrive as a human and cause the relationship to thrive as well. Many years ago, um, Pam and I were really struggling as, as a couple. We'd been married about 15 years, Girls were now in high school. Church was off the ground. We started it from scratch and she worked way harder than I did, but we both were working a lot just to, to do church and raise kids and try to stay married. And we found ourselves, because we're so committed to tasks, because we like kind of like that, it's sort of like easier to talk to this roof than it is to talk to you. And um, we just sort of began growing apart. And um, we began developing lots of bad habits. We didn't spend time listening to each other. We didn't really honor and respect one another. We just had these bad habits where we just kind of cut each other off and kind of finish the argument. Just have we, You know, you heard those conversation-ending comments. Some people are really good at that. We were both experts. It's just the kind of thing that's, you know, I can't even think of them now, thankfully. I don't want to. But you know, people who just know how to just shut it down like that, just when you think you're getting somewhere, and they say something, it's like, Wow, okay. (laughs) Well, we were getting good at that. And so we we began to reach out for help and uh, called our Foursquare leadership. And they sent us to a counselor. And counselor said, you guys, number one, you need help. You can't do this alone. You need a third party who's impartial to talk to both of you because you're not hearing each other. You're completely missing all the time. And in order to do that, you actually need to spend, spend not just an hour, not five hours, but you need to spend a week with these counselors. And I know exactly who they are. I want to send you there. They're in New Mexico. You're going to have to get on a plane. You're going to have to spend some money and stay with them for a week. You're going to live with them. They have a cabin up in the mountains. They actually ski in New Mexico. I didn't know that. There's snow. Ruidoso, beautiful place. You're going to have to go spend a week with these guys. You're going to live with them for an entire week, meet long hours in the morning, have lunch, have a little downtime, have dinner, have long hours in the evening five days in a row. That's what you're going to have to do. The long story short is that this couple was able to impartially observe and kindly help us see that we weren't doing any of these things with each other. We were great at these things with everybody else. How many of you know you can do that? You can be an amazing Christian to everybody but your spouse. It's crazy, huh? It's just wrong, but we do. And so after spending a week, the funny thing is Pam and I both like, whenever we're given assignments, I don't know, we've got this kind of we all have to be A plus students all the time. So we weren't really necessarily motivated by the content, although we clearly were. The question we asked at the end was, how did we do? Did we get an A? <laughs> Fortunately that wasn't our primary motive, but what we did discover is there's a whole lot of behaviors where we would talk one way, but our behavior was the other way. And we realized we had the wisdom of heaven activated in all these relationships except for one. And that was ours. And and so it was really humbling. But it brought us back to that place James was trying to tell these Jerusalem Christians, you got to get back to it. When you first met Jesus, you were floored that he existed. You were floored that your sins were forgiven. You were floored that you actually had a, a hope and a future in your life, no matter what your past looked like. I want you to return to that kind of humility because that's what will bring the wisdom of God. The cool thing is the summary He says, if you guys, the whole church, can start operating this way again, get back to this, you gotta know, peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. You do your little part, baby, and this church will explode (laughs) with a harvest of right living, right thinking, the kind that will attract not just followers from within the church, but followers from without. He said, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be amazing. But you you gotta do the hard work I, I looked up an alternate translation from the message. Same exact verse, James 3.18. He says, and listen, this is James think, uh, speaking. Now He's not just writing his letter. He's like, now he's preaching from his letter. This is James saying, guys, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and with honor. That's my desire. I want to be fully developed into the image of Christ. I want that for you as well. But it's hard work, and we're going to have to humble ourselves before him and in safe, trusted relationships with one another. And just keep at it, because we're going to drift. We're going to drift back and go, oh, sorry, get back over here. How many of you would like that? Yeah. Thank you. So, Jesus, we do give you praise and thanks and honor that this kind of living is not just a pipe dream. It's a possibility. It's not just for certain very saintly people. It's for all of us, sinners alike. We thank you that this kind of joy and fulfilling relationship with others, with our friends, or even our family, perhaps even our enemies, Lord, is something we can, by your grace, step by step, achieve. So give us the faith to believe that, Lord, and the perseverance to pursue it. We thank you, Father, and, and look forward to that robust, godly, loving, joy-filled life, family, church, community that you promise is ours. In your mighty name we pray. And the church said? Amen. 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 It all starts with one decision. first decision we have to make is Will I surrender my life to Him or will I continue to manage it myself? We have to move the CEO office out of our house into His. That, if that doesn't happen, nothing else will happen. It'll all be human intention. We need to make Him CEO, manager, Savior, Lord, God of our life. Then He does the work and you begin to get blown away. So make sure you made that decision. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. All right, God bless you. Yes, God's Word is so awesome. Thanks, Pastor Alex. I hope this message blesses you as it does me. We have an awesome time of worship during each of our services. We have infant and child care available, as well as complete children's education program. We host the Wildfire Youth Programs Wednesday evenings. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's a final word from Pastor Kevin. You ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.